There's a push by indigenous communities to decolonize museum collections, presenting items such as baskets as belongings instead of artifacts. We explore the concept in today's Underground History podcast. Here's host Chelsea Rose. You're listening to Underground History, a collaboration between Jefferson Public Radio and the Southern Oregon University Laboratory of Anthropology, or SULA. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and each episode, we take a deep dive into little-known aspects of history in Oregon and beyond. Today, we're talking baskets, and more broadly, the important collaborative work happening in Oregon to decolonize museums and their collections. To help us walk through this, we are joined by Stephanie Craig, an enrolled member of the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde Community in Oregon. She's Santiam and Yonkala Kalapuya, Tequilma Rogue River, and Clackamas Chinook. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Hi, Chelsea. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've been following your work for a while and been wanting to reach out to have you on the show. And I've been so excited to see that you and some of your colleagues are getting a lot of great coverage lately on your efforts to decolonize or indigenize museums in Oregon. So to start off, and I know this is a really big topic, but can you just give our listeners um, a sense or a brief description of what this work looks like for you? Yeah, for sure. So for me, it's connecting tribal communities with their ancestral belongings um, and helping bridge the gap between institutions, uh, museums, and others that are holding these items and getting access for tribal members. Yeah, so making them not just sit in the storage, but available as collections, educational collections for people to learn about what you know, how baskets were made and what kind of forms they had. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, without having these belongings around our tribal members that are artists and creators, we have nothing to look at mm -hmm. to recreate or look at old technologies and techniques to try and revive them. And so by decolonizing museums and building partnerships and bridging these, you know, these gaps with tribal communities and institutions, it's allowing for the tribes to regain their culture and their sovereignty and bringing um, our culture back mm -hmm. into today's times and the, as a living culture. Yeah. And of course, museums and archaeologists were really part of this really harmful colonizing process, whereas a lot of these objects were either stolen or purchased or, you know, people were coerced into giving them to these institutions. So, um that's where they've been housed all this time. So so getting access back, that's kind of regaining yeah. some of that power. A, well, and a lot of institutions, they just have them on shelves, uh -huh. and they never are touched by anyone. They're not identified correctly. They're never put on display. Or there's a sense of ownership by the institution, and they don't feel the need to share these items with other com tribal communities, which... In a way, I, I can understand it as from academia. I, I get it, the funding, the research, I understand that. But then also, those were stolen from us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's our history. That's our ancestors' belongings. That's our family heirlooms. Um, and without those, you know, we have to recreate. And if we had something from historical context, you know, we can recreate them correctly instead of notes from, you know, old archaeologists and ethnographic research. And better explain how they functioned and what they meant to people, right? I mean, who's who better yes. to really interpret these objects than the folks who made and used them? 
Well, and that's the thing is that us Native Americans, you know, we, we're the original stewards of the land. Mm-hmm. We know what plants um, work with integrated pest management. We know different techniques from indigenous, indigenous ways of knowing and traditional ecological knowledge where those are inherited. You know, it, it runs through our DNA and, and we're the best ones that know how to take care of our items correctly. And there's a there's an energy that's in those items. When we gather the plants to make these items, you know, there's an exchange of energy from the gatherer and the plant. And so it's really important that there's good energy also being exchanged within the museum when these items are being handled or whatnot. But also the lack of knowledge with non-Indigenous museum and archaeology professionals is that Sometimes they they don't know what is gender specific. There's women's ceremonial items that only women can touch. And then there's also men things that can only, you know, be touched by men or seen by men. And so it's important for everyone to be versed on everything. So I'm hoping that by bridging these gaps between tribal communities and institutions and holdings, repositories, that the conversations can keep moving and going forward and just educating everyone and giving access to everyone. And you raise an important point about the materials because, you know, the craft of basketry goes, of course, far beyond the walls of where these baskets are. But it's not only knowing how to weave them, but it's knowing about what to make them out of. And there's different choices depending on what you're going to use the basket for. And that's another disruption from the colonial, you know, the colonizing of this area is um, not only were uh, tribal peoples, you know, they interrupted their access to resources, but then also the resources themselves were, you know, uh, became farmland or, you know, things changed mm-hmm. over time. So are you working also to kind of regrain, regain access to those spots, but then also encouraging, you know, I guess, stewardship of these early resources so that the basketry supplies can be brought back to? Yeah, for sure. So I have partnerships with state and federal agencies and then also private landowners and conservation groups where I work with them on TEK, traditional ecological knowledge, and using our indigenous ways of knowing on land stewardship, plant access, maintaining healthy plants, reintroducing fire to the land, Um, There's some projects that are coming up this year where we're going to do some test plot burns, and I'm super excited. And gaining access for tribal members, not just myself, but all tribal members throughout the state. I think it's super important to work with these partners because, you know, they have a different lens that they're looking through. But then by bringing in a Native consultant also brings authentic first-person land steward view or approach to managing lands. Everything's gathered in its own season. Um, you, if you gather it out of season, it won't be able to be used for basketry or tools or food or medicine. So it's important to follow a seasonal round to make sure that the plants survive and you know keep thriving. And so you know by by partnering, we can we can bring these back and better manage the land yeah. for everyone. You're listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange. You can find us online at jeffexchange.org. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose, and today I'm joined by Stephanie Craig, and we're talking about baskets, resources for making baskets, and more. And, you know, talking about that, it makes it really clear, like, how holistic, you know, baskets are just one part of the system, and there's so much about the system that's broken and that hopefully can be, you know, put back into place to make 
you know, organ healthier for, for everybody. But I wanted to also talk about, um, we, we had an interview yesterday about plastics and we were talking about all the different things that were made out of plastics. And I started thinking this morning how, you know, I wouldn't say baskets are the original plastic or anything like that, but they were such a versatile thing. You know, you could have the water bottles, um, you know, your Tupperware was baskets and even like yep. a crock pot, basically. And I think people really underestimate the versatility and utility of a really well-made basket. And that comes into not only the weaving, but knowing, like you said, what materials to use, when to get those materials. So you do want to speak a little bit to that, like how you, you know, what your understanding of baskets and, and what they do and have done is versus what most people on the street kind of think about when you think about a basket? Yeah. So when I go in and do presentation or workshops, I bring a lot of family heirlooms and belongings that have been passed down and ones that I've recreated. And one that always gets people is my cooking basket. Um, it's a root and stick basket that is watertight and I explain you know the cooking methods of adding water the night before we're going to cook to swell it making it watertight and then adding acorn flour to make mush and people are just amazed they they thought you know like we put the baskets in the fire and then we or we pitch pitch line them or shellac them and we actually never did it was you know all native ingenuity and it's amazing how a really good weaver can make something watertight and be able to, you know, sustain their family um, and, and cooking and using it over generations. Um, and then also, you know, in the museum world, we have this, you know, hands-off approach, conservation, preservation, and wanting to clean baskets. And my approach is somewhat part of that, but also leaving that material in the basketry because it tells a story and with that in with it not in there you know we we lose context and that's where people i think get a little bit confused but basketry is your first is your precursor to your laundry baskets your farmer's mask baskets your backpacks your shopping carts for instance cedar cedar gave us so much cedar gave us our clothing it gave us canoes it gave us our plank houses and longhouses so much was given to to us people from the cedar tree and so when i do my classes i really like to get the material in people's hands because without that they can't relate to the environment they can't relate to the land and by doing that it it allows people to connect closer and understand at a different level. And I think that's super important. Yeah. And also just to, you know, think about the possibilities. We've been so desensitized to the natural world and the ways in which all everything we needed used to come from it. And now it's like, you know, it's all single use disposable. And there's so many mm -hmm. ways that hopefully some of those natural materials can be reintegrated into our lives. And one of the things when you're thinking about accessing muse museum collections, we've had some folks on the show um, talking to us about some of the hidden dangers of like heavy metals and stuff in museum collections. And I know that basketry, especially some of the early baskets, folks would add lead or different things to them as a preservative. So is that something yeah. that you're, you know, another challenge for you when you want to get those back in folks' hands and now they've you've got this other thing you have to think about, which is lead exposure, you know? It is. It's so, um, in one collection we found, they did some XRF, uh, scanning on arsenic, mercury, and lead in the collection. And 
there was a handful of older style basketry items that were treated with them. It is an old process. It, it was a method of preservation and conservation so that it would keep you know bugs and, and mold out of it. But those items that are treated in, in poison, you know, like what's the life? How long does it take for after they've been treated with chemicals? Is it safe to handle? You know, because we don't want to put that in children and elders' hands because at the end of the day, you know, then they're taking in a, a limited amount of poison essentially, and that's not healthy for anyone. It's sad that especially feather work was all sprayed with the chemicals. And at the time, I, I get it as a, you know, anthropologist and archaeologist, it was the best practices, but we've evolved since then. And there's better methods of storing and caring for these belongings. So sometimes when I work with museums or tribes or agencies, I teach them more TEK best practices, indigenous best practices in museums and using natural methods, you know, that we have used since time immemorial to keep our items and belongings safe and useful still useful after many, many generations. And that's such an amazing thing as part of this process to really add that knowledge back into it. Time always goes so quick when we're having these conversations, but we're going to have to wrap it up. But I wanted to end kind of on you. You're working with museums and providing this important consultation, but do you also offer your services to the public? Say somebody has inherited a basket or, you know, somehow has a basket in their home that they want to know more about. Is that part of your consulting business that you can provide that service to them? It is. So I've been doing this for about 20 plus years and I've been weaving about 25 years. And when I graduated from University of Oregon from uh, anthropology with my master's degree, there was a need for it. I have people contacting me almost weekly now asking if I could identify what they, you know, their grandmother saved for them. And I think it's wonderful because people realize that, you know, their children, grandchildren may not want this. And so instead of it ending up at Goodwill, they're wanting it identified properly so that they can give it back to the home community. I love doing it. It's almost like a genealogy DNA research project, you know, finding and tracing lines and family lineage and marriages between, you know, people and tribes. It's a mystery, and I I love mystery. So. Oh, God, that's so great. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for joining us. And we'll be sure to put your contact information in the show notes so folks can get in touch and talk about their baskets. Awesome. Um, well, thank you, Chelsea, so much. Yeah, thank you. You're listening to Underground History on the Jefferson Exchange. I'm your host, Chelsea Rose. Our show producers are Angela Decker and Charlie Zimmerman. You can find this episode and more at jeffexchange.org or wherever you get your podcasts.